Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aleph Beta Quarantined. I'm your host, Imu Shalev. Rabbi Foreman could not be with us today. Rabbi Foreman is in Israel trying to get back to America. We're going to figure that out, but hopefully you'll hear Rabbi Foreman back on the next episode. Today, we're going to hear a very special interview that I'm doing with Rabbi Rothwax. He's the rabbi of a prominent synagogue in Teaneck, New Jersey. That's in Bergen County. It's been a very busy week here in Teaneck. On Wednesday night, the Rabbinical Council of Bergen County, a group of rabbinic leaders, agreed to do something quite unprecedented. They shut down all shuls and schools. They closed all restaurants and asked that people not have Shabbos guests or playdates with their kids and effectively self-quarantine. I'm talking today to Rabbi Rothwax, a member of the RCBC, and a leader in the Teaneck and larger Jewish community. Rabbi Rothwax, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure to join you. Thank you for including me. Rabbi Rothwax, I am a member of your community in Teaneck. I'm a six-minute walk away from Beth Aaron. Tell me what's going on in our community. Tell me about the last few days. I don't even know where to begin. I think that for all of us, especially as this is evolving and sort of playing out in real time, it's hard to catch my breath. I know that I have been operating on adrenaline now for several days. Shabbos was a very difficult day because uh, everything came to sort of a halt. And suddenly the, I would say, unprecedented volume of calls and messages that I, as I was receiving just came to total silence. But other than that, it's really been sort of nonstop operating in triage mode, if you will. I had an opportunity earlier today um, when I was posting something on Facebook, which I, I really don't do often. I'm not a regular Facebook poster, but I couldn't help but be amused, if that's the right word, when I noticed that I think five days ago, I shared an article that it looks at least, like at least another hundred people shared from my post, which was published by a physician in the area who I thought, you know, very, in a very responsible and a very eloquent way, was wondering as to why it is that, that the community is alarmed, as it seems we were. And he expressed that he was actually more concerned about panic, and I don't think he actually spoke explicitly about civil unrest necessarily, but he was just concerned about the way we are reacting to this more so than, than the virus itself. And at the time, that, that sort of resonated with me, and I shared it. And like I said, based on the response that I got, both in terms of the comments and the, those who shared afterwards, my sense was, and I, I think this was Wednesday, maybe Tuesday, mm -hmm. that that's pretty much where everybody was at the time. You know, we were all experiencing this growing sense of, of panic and, and wondering if this is really appropriate, called for, justified, given the circumstances. I think it was 24 hours later uh, that I, together with, with all of my colleagues and, and many other leaders in the community, moved to essentially shut down our community, which was completely unprecedented. And it didn't occur to me until earlier this morning that there was a span of maybe 24 hours between wow. that post and that action. And uh, I was tempted to actually remove the post today and just sort of strike it from the record. But I decided not to because I don't know if anybody's ever going to be studying this. And don't presume that my Facebook page will ever be the subject of some great historical review. But I do think that it really sort of tells the story that's happening over here. A week ago, I was definitely saying this too shall pass very soon. And OK, mm -hmm. we missed a couple of days of school and just hold on. This will be over. And here we are. Not sure where we're going to be tomorrow. So lay out the events for us, for those of us. I'm in your community, so I know very well what's going on here. But we have thousands of listeners all over the world. Let's actually just review review the events that are happening. Because on Wednesday, as you said, everything was open. Shuls were open. It was, uh, what is that? It was Wednesday, Shushan Purim. And then 
take it from there. What happened? What happened next? Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Wednesday was Shushan Purim, which means that Tuesday was Purim. And of course, in the days leading up to Purim, there, there were many internal conversations that we and I imagine every other synagogue around the country was having as to what sort of programming is appropriate. I don't think that we were having any serious conversations about canceling Shul or Megillah, but there were other social programming events and things of that nature that happened in and around Shul in the community. And we were having, I would say, semi-serious conversations. But for the most part, with the exception of, I think, a couple of shuls in the area, for the most part, everybody just proceeded as planned with stated caution and reminding anybody who felt that they were either not feeling well or symptomatic or, you know, at risk or somehow physically vulnerable that they should stay inside. For the most part, we were just assuming that it was safe to proceed. When it came to Wednesday morning, there was clearly more concern that there had been beforehand. There was a a decision that was made by the local schools in the area to cancel school for almost two weeks. The process is not particularly relevant at the moment, but suffice it to say that the rabbis in the community were not directly involved in that decision. I think some of us had been having conversations with the heads of school, but it played out very quickly. Um, Mm -hmm. And it became clear within a matter of, of hours from many, many different fronts, I think from the and the members of the of the RCBC and the heads of school and lay leaders, that there was a need to to get together, and to figure out where we are and where we're going. And I've been here almost 20 years, and I can tell you that never have I seen, in the course of several hours, a gathering of this nature, which included members of the RCBC and the heads of school, presidents of all the schools, local heads of government, representatives from the medical institutions in the area, and uh, we were all sitting there around the table. I was at one point wondering, wondering who the designated survivor is because uh, <laughs> it, it did occur to me that we were basically all in the same room. And uh, it was a three-hour meeting. It was extremely intense. And like I said, I can only speak for myself, but I know that I was not the only who entered that room, not with skepticism per se, but with this feeling like the burden, the responsibility is placed upon those who want to come in and somehow suggest that we do something as radical as shut this community down. And as far as the schools are concerned, even though I'm not necessarily uh, somebody who makes that decision, as a parent in the community and as a rabbi in the community, I was caught off guard and frankly confused as to how we had come to that conclusion. The meeting began with, I would say, about 45 minutes or so of expert testimony, if you will, from representatives of the local uh, hospitals, Englewood Hospital, Holy Name Hospital, Hackensack Medical Center. And it was pretty clear that they had not coordinated beforehand. Some of them had not met, perhaps ever, but certainly prior to this meeting. And they were all, one after another, expressing their concern, which was partially projecting upon what they thought would happen. But I think what was most compelling is that they were talking about what they were already seeing, namely a a tremendous stress upon the system. You know, at this point, I think it's no longer a secret to the community. Right. Uh, I think there, there, are, there are some details that are probably honestly left best unsaid because I'm certainly not interested in, in causing more panic or alarm. And I really do firmly believe that everything that can be done to stay ahead of the situation is being done. Uh, mm-hmm. That being said, if never in my life occurred to me that where we are right here, surrounded by so many credible, uh, renowned medical facilities, that we'd be facing a situation where there could be an actual conversation about shortage of, of resources, of beds, of ventilators, of physicians, etc. So the, the case was made. And I don't want to oversimplify things, but I think it's fair to say that at that point, there wasn't really much to discuss. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a process. The rabbis did leave the room for about 45 minutes. And mm-hmm. like I said, in, in really it was just unprecedented in terms of the, really a myriad of different issues that needed to be 
discussed within that short period of time and, and, and being able in very, very short time to sort of roll out a message uh, mm-hmm. before it would hit the streets, which of course we couldn't do because although, you know, there was a letter that was penned overnight and released early morning, there were obviously many leaks from within that room, which is fine. It's understandable. But as you know, you know, when it comes to matters of, of life and death, and even if we're talking about a doubt, the Jewish law is very decisive in that regard. I guess what made this a little difficult for all of us, the process, was what that actually meant in this case. I think most of us rabbis are are familiar and well-equipped and experienced enough to be able to look at somebody in the face who's hesitating whether to call 911 or to get in the car and go to the doctor or a hospital on Shabbos to say, listen, this is what you need to do. I myself have picked up the phone on several times in my shul when there was a situation that required immediate medical attention. But it's very different. It's very different when you are responding to needs of an individual and when you sort of pull that lever and say, okay, we're, we're shutting this community down. And not, not only are we shutting our shuls down, but we as rabbis are committing ourselves to daven alone in our homes, not merely to, to set an example, uh, but to impress upon everyone that it would be inappropriate under these circumstances to sort of mm-hmm. challenge this decision because it was explained to us, I think, very effectively. And I think since then, the community has been catching on and educating themselves, flatten the curve, as it is so-called, and right. really what it is that we are trying to accomplish here on a macro level. So the story I'm hearing from you, and you you very humbly and vulnerably stated, you were in a position where you didn't quite fully comprehend the threat, and then seems like in one meeting from a presentation from the, the doctors and uh, experts at, at the, the hospitals surrounding Teaneck, you change your mind and you change your mind in a big way and close the shul and you join many other rabbis in closing theirs. For those those people listening that aren't quite where we are, that may be where you were on Wednesday, what would you want to say to them? What's the message from, from what Teaneck is going through? That's a very good question. For, for whatever it's worth, I will say I, I am surprised to know that there are still people out there who aren't where we are. I understand that as far as Policies and protocols in different different communities, they may be a couple of days behind, but I, I, I do think that it is a matter of time. Maybe I'm naive, perhaps I am, but I do think that what we experienced and maybe other communities were not as fortunate was to have a very organized effort on the part of members of the medical community who assembled without a moment's notice to meet with us were able to deliver a very, very clear message in which there, was, there wasn't really a consensus. And they, they were literally speaking, the Pe'echad, they were speaking from different places. I mean, there were, there were individuals who have experiences infectious diseases. There were those who work in the you know, intensive care units in these various hospitals, pulmonologists, some of them, including members who are very well respected in the community and some faces and names that we had never met before. At the end of the day, I don't presume to be qualified in any way whatsoever to know what is and was what is not factual, what is happening here. I had a conversation with, with a member of my community on Arab Shabbos who was deeply distraught over the fact that we were essentially saying that you may not have a minion. Forget the fact that the shul was closed, but he had wanted to have mm-hmm. uh, participate in, in, in a minion outside. And he had expressed to me that he, he was of, under the opinion that basically all of this or, or much of this is being driven by I don't know if you used the word conspiracy, but sort of what it sounded like, you know, some sort of mm-hmm. conspiracy to, to oust the president. Mm-hmm. Really, it's overblown and it's exaggerated and this is not nearly as bad as it thinks. And, and I said to him, I hope you're right, even though I would be horrified that there are people out there that would be so single-minded in their agenda that they would inflict 
you know, such harm and chaos upon the world for political motives. But given the alternative, I, I would actually hope you're right. But I said, regardless, regardless, we have no choice under these circumstances other than to follow experts, not those who claim to know what's really going on, uh, certainly not conspiracy theorists. And God help us all if we, as rational, thinking, responsible individuals, leaders, rabbis, poskim, say we know better than the doctors. Mm -hmm. And like I said, there really was no dissent among the rabbis. There were some discussions on some of the details and how best to execute and whether there was any room for, for nuance here, whether we could allow certain types of events and gatherings. But fundamentally, like I said, even though the circumstances are completely unprecedented, it was pretty clear what needed to happen. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't really know how to answer your question directly because I am puzzled, maybe horrified is a better word, by, by the thought that, that there are some communities, leaders, rabbis, poskim, who would discount the collective opinion of a recognized medical body. It could very well be that they are consulting with other physicians, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't consult with just one or two here, who are convincing them otherwise, in which case I guess it's sort of easier to understand and, mm -hmm. and, and excuse it. You know, if that's the right word. But for us over here, I didn't count, but I, I believe there were there were at least a dozen, maybe more doctors, like I said, representing different fields, different levels of experience, different medical centers. And it was not merely projection. They were saying, here's what we are seeing now. And we are very afraid about what's going to be tomorrow. And we need your help. And we can't do this without you. So you're making it sound like it's uh, it was fait accompli to really shut the community down. But, you know, I know that there are other communities that are waiting for the government to do the, the shutting down, to mandate the quarantines. Just as a member of this community and in my you know short 33 years on this earth, right? this, this to me is, is unprecedented. Uh, and this is something I, I could never imagine having been done. And the feeling that I have is, is it's quite courageous. It's quite courageous of you and of the RCBC and of Rabbanim to, to take initiative uh, and to do something that uh, I saw you know, wasn't welcome necessarily with open arms in the first few hours. It was something people initially kind of said, what's what's going on here? This is this is a little crazy. And, and that, not really anymore. I think everybody sort of sort of gets it, um, especially since as we're recording this on Sunday, the town has itself closed really everything, restaurants and parks. But this is something that that started first with the Jewish community here in Teaneck. I'm not sure it's a question. It's more of a, I want to let you know that that's how I feel. I feel that there was, there was quite a lot of courage here. Yeah. I mean, I would say what, what, what makes me particularly proud of the way that this was executed. But again, I, I, you know, it's something that I've known before about our community and uh, the RCBC in particular, but I think it was tested in a way that we had never seen before, is the cohesiveness among this rabbinical body. You know, and many of your listeners know, that has been tested on occasions over the past mm -hmm. year or so. And that's no secret. But at the end of the day, I'm not saying we're unique. I'm not saying we're better than or different than. But it is quite remarkable that you have, I, I don't know the number, 25, 30 rabbis representing a spectrum, a real a spectrum within our community, spanning different shuls, types of shuls. And uh, we were able to come together. At the end of the day, we are fundamentally on the page about virtually everything even those things that we disagree about. So that's amazing. It was very reassuring to see that there was complete buy-in on every end. And I, I, I imagine that other communities are, are not, at the moment, are not necessarily as fortunate. Maybe there's a greater degree of diversity. Um, and that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. That's a mm -hmm. challenge. 
Um, and it's probably confusing for a lot of the members mm -hmm. of the community, frankly. Mm -hmm. I, I feel bad for communities that, that have to decide whether I'm going to listen to this rabbi or mm -hmm. that rabbi. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I can only speak for here, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that we were able to sort of work through this very yeah, quickly. I'm proud too. proud to live here. Let me ask you about, you know, as, as a shul rav, uh, you're, you're sort of the epicenter of a lot of different individual stories and different people who are struggling now. What are some stories you might consider sharing with us? Some things that we as members of Kal Yisrael should know, people we shouldn't forget about. Yeah, that's a very good question. So I'll actually tell you that I, um, I wear two hats. You know, I'm the rabbi here at Congregation Beth Aaron, and I'm also the director of professional rabbinics at REIT's Smicha program. And even though we officially shut down the campus at YU already in the beginning of last week, there was a commitment to try to maintain a regular schedule of classes online starting Wednesday. So I have a class that I teach on Fridays to uh, second and third year rabbinic students who are pursuing careers in the pulpit or, or chinuch in education. It's called Contemporary Issues in the Rabbinate, and we are now the second or third week into a six-week section on inclusion. We're talking about matters of inclusion within the Jewish community and, and talking about different populations within our community who may be at risk of feeling excluded. That's part of the curriculum that was set up you know, back in the summer. So I met with them virtually this past Friday uh, using Zoom, and I asked them, I said, each and every one of you, I want you now to identify a population in our community that is at risk of being forgotten. Now, again, these are rabbinical students with, with little or no experience. But it was a great exercise in, in being able to stop for a moment and to say, okay, I know what I'm experiencing, but who else within our community may be experiencing it differently and may, in some ways, be experiencing a greater degree of stress and anxiety at the moment. The second part of the exercise was then to figure out how we can best message to the entire community without further excluding or making you know some of these groups that are most at risk of, feel, of feeling even further isolated. So I'll just mention a few. You know, we are concerned about people who are suffering financially. Obviously, everything from business owners to uh, people who are paid per hour and have been basically told to stay at home until further notice. People who have seen their retirement funds basically be depleted by 20, 25% over the past few, few weeks. People who have invested a lot of money, whether it's in programs that are scheduled to happen, Pesach time or camps and the like, who are right now very uncertain as to where things lie. So on the one hand, none of this is, is about money, but we have to recognize the fact that, that there are a lot of people who are really going to be suffering. Uh, there are people who are in the process of, of making and planning smachot. I would say the most, some of the most difficult conversations I've had over the past 72 hours have been with such individuals. I think what's been most challenging is the fact that we they come to a point where they say, okay, I get it. I can't have everybody at my wedding and they reschedule it and then wake up the next morning and say, wait, I need to reschedule it again. And then they say, okay, I'm going to do it in this location with only 20 guests instead of 400. And then they have to be informed, well, that's not going to work either. And I did make the point, sort of a broadcast I did with my show the other day, that all things considered, these are good problems to have. They're very challenging, but people who are able to make a simcha or are fortunate and should not forget it. And I, I think that most people do recognize that, but it's incredibly challenging. There's just so much information that we have to process all at once to consider that, oh, I, I can make a simcha right now and that I should have that perspective in the middle of all. It's just so much. I'll tell you something that sort of caught me off guard and I was it was humbling for me in my position. And I never forget the fact that there are individuals in our community who unfortunately are stuck in abusive relationships. And uh, I am very mindful when speaking in general, even not about that particular topic, to know that there are people among us who are suffering in that regard, 
and not to forget about them and make sure that messages that are broadcast in different forums are done in a way that, that shows we know you're there and we are here to support you in any way we can. It did not occur to me, it was not obvious to me at all, that the reassuring messages that we were sending to the community basically said, listen, it's best for everybody to stay home. You're safer at home at this point. And so we ask you to trust us. Uh, how that message could be very threatening and very painful to a person who says, actually, Rabbi, I may be better and safer in an ICU unit right now in a respirator than I am, you know, stuck at home wow. with an abuser. That's an example of, again, a population in our midst who's facing unique type of stress and threat and potential danger at the moment. So you have to be really thoughtful and really have to sort of step out of, of your own experience, your own space, to think of it in that terms. I'll tell you something else one of my students mentioned. And again, at this point, I think the kids get it. I found this to be extremely insightful. He, he suggested that for many kids in our community, I would say probably boys in particular, as you'll see where I'm going, but I imagine the girls as well. This is confusing, maybe even amusing, maybe even fun, you know, to be able to be told in the middle of school one day that you're going home for a couple of weeks. That's the kind of thing that would make most school children celebrate. But, but he had suggested it was probably not until the NBA canceled the rest of the season and the NCAA canceled the tournament that kids really started to process the fact that, oh my gosh, something really big is happening. I happen to be, I'm not a big sports fan, but all things considered, the fact that the NBA canceled the rest of the season doesn't make much of a difference to me personally. But this, I think, very astute student pointed out that there are probably many, many kids among us who are very frightened by that prospect. Not because of the mm -hmm. fact that, oh no, now what am I going to watch? I really wanted to see the YU Max win the championship, which we all did. And maybe one day they'll have an opportunity to prove themselves. That for many of our kids, that's the equivalent of saying, the schools are closed. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry the fact that you're saying cottage for your father, but now you can't. At first, it, it sounds a little jarring to say that. But again, just take a moment to stop and remember what it, what it was like to be 12 years old, where you actually did care a lot more about the NBA finals than you did about dominating with a minion. So that, there, there's another whole population among us who, whose dreams are shattered, but really whose world has just been com completely, because again, we think, you know, the sun rises, the sun sets, and the NBA season goes on. You know, even the right. stock market, there's that circuit breaker, which, right. which halts it for 15 minutes, and then everybody goes back. To say that the NBA season is over, that's earth shattering to many of our kids. People in the medical community are suffering probably from fatigue, I've spoken to several doctors today who have basically told them that they cannot return to work because they are symptomatic, which is very disheartening to them. One physician was crying to me on the phone that she feels completely helpless and she wants to go back to be there on the front lines. Mm -hmm. She's not being told she can't. Mm -hmm. I can go on and on, but you get the idea. My, my kids and I, before we ate lunch and Shabbos, walked a few blocks. I was trying to be cautious and, and responsible. There was no prohibition on taking walks on Shabbos. I wanted to be responsible in terms of what we were doing, but we did knock on as many doors of people that we could think of who live alone just to see how they're doing. By and large, they were just bored, but really they were lonely. It was sad. My kids were tempted to sort of come up to the steps with me so we can all stand by the door, but I encouraged them to stand down. And it was actually very surreal to knock on someone's door and to stand six feet away and just say, we're thinking of you. But, you know, at the end of the day, my family and I, we had, we had a very memorable Shabbos together. In some ways, it was very meaningful. Not everybody was able to experience it that way. Tell me about you personally, right? You're, you're carrying the weight of a lot of people on your shoulder. How are, how are you doing? Thank you for asking. How do I look? <laughs> you, look you look great. Thank you. Several months ago, I experienced 
what I still believe in some ways was probably the biggest crisis of, of my rabbinical career when two members of my congregation were struck by a car outside of Ben Asherin. One of them passed away a couple of days later. The other one who has been recovering really has had a miraculous recovery. I actually just came home from rehab on Shushan Farm, unfortunately for him, because now that he's finally home, he's not allowed to visit us. And, and that was traumatic for myself and my community for many reasons, which not really the, the purpose of this conversation at this time. But I, I did feel at the time that I was able to feel a tremendous amount of strength from the community and being in a position where, you know, I have no choice but to sort of be strong for everyone was actually something that gave me strength. There were moments a couple of days in where it felt like I was starting to crack at the seams. And uh, thankfully, I got the, the help and support that I needed, but then got up again, continued to march forward. I believe, I hope this resonates with some, maybe even all of your listeners, but I've seen it again and again and again. As an individual, every once in a while, if I am lucky, I experience something in life in which I am able to really, really see and experience and feel Hashkacha Pratis, divine providence, and say, oh, wow, God, you're really looking out for me. That's as an individual. As a leader in our community, as a rabbi, I feel it every time I get up to speak without fail. And that doesn't mean that, you know, I always hit it out of the park, but I definitely feel that there are so many times where I go into a situation and I say, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And then I just feel sort of lifted. And during that crisis of several months ago, and this one as well, I really, really do feel personally that Hashem owes la'amo yitain, that Hashem gives strength and I'm feeling that strength. I also will say that, going back to what I said before, is incredibly inspiring and motivating to see the way this entire community has sort of mobilized and coalesced and, and, and has really, in a very, very collaborative way, has been able slowly but surely to address many issues that have continuously arising. And it's extremely motivating. I, I referred to adrenaline earlier. I don't only mean in a physical sense. There's a sort of spiritual adrenaline that's running through all of our veins at the moment right now, and it's very powerful. I hope it continues, and uh, we continue to, to be able to sort of weather this storm together. I hope so too. Rabbi Rothwax, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking the time out. Is there anything left unsaid, anything you want us uh, to know going forward? Thank you. Yeah, well, so I guess I'll say one more thing. So I, I, I know that I'm speaking to some people who've never heard me before, so you'll just have to take my word for it, but I am the rabbi who basically tells people that when they say, oh, I know why this is happening. The reason why God is doing this is because I tell people to very politely turn around and walk away. The Talmud is very clear. The period of prophecy, at least for the time being, has ended. And people who claim that they know why things are happening should not be trusted. Uh, that being said, when we experience suffering in life as individuals, and certainly something like this, which is, again, unprecedented in terms of its impact locally, nationally, globally, we all have a, a sacred responsibility to do what we call a chesman and nefesh, to be introspective and to think about how I can grow from this experience. That doesn't mean this is happening because that God is bringing all of this pain and suffering to the world because we don't need to connect the dots. You know, how can I improve? You know, Soloveitchik spoke about the concept of, of transforming one's fate into destiny. This definitely feels like a very fateful moment for the world. If we remain focused and determined, we can transform this into something that we can all grow from and learn from. 
and hopefully be stronger as individuals and as a community. In fact, all of humanity going forward. So I'm certainly hoping for that. And uh, please, God, we will succeed. We will deal with whatever challenges we need to in the days ahead. And please, God, Hashem Ozli, Amo Yitain, Hashem Yivarech, Hashemov Hashalom, Hashem will continue to give us the strength that we need to prevail. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Rothbachs, for joining us. Please continue to do all the great work that you're doing on behalf of our community and the community at large. Thank you, Rabbi Rothbachs. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope this provided a, uh, a measure of comfort in a certainly a confusing, if not difficult time. We here at Aleph Beta are committed to releasing more of these podcast episodes. Hopefully we'll be hearing from more of you, our listeners, from your stories. If you have a story you want to share with us, please email us at info at alephbeta.org. You can record a voice note or send us an email. We want to hear how the quarantines, social distancing, how everything is affecting you. And if you're looking for some great Torah to listen to or to watch, perhaps on your own or with your family or with kids, we're making Aleph Beta's resources free. So check out alephbeta.org and enjoy some of our wonderful courses. And if you're interested in supporting the work that we do, please consider a subscription to Aleph Beta if you're not a subscriber already. You can become a member at alephbeta.org. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Imu Shalev.